The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. So can we open up to Acts 8 and we're going to start at uh, verse 26. So Acts 8, verse 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kendak, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. This passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of this of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As he rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. So before they find themselves on a dark desert highway, they're in bright lights of a big city. You'll have a note sheet there that kind of lays all out what's happening here. I imagine in my mind several months ago Jesus was with his closest followers, the disciples, the apostles, and he gave them what they called the Great Commission. He said, This good news of this way of this kingdom of God of about all about me is gonna go everywhere. It's gonna go Jerusalem, Judea, gonna go all over the world. And he said, Samaria, and I think as they were leaving the Mount of Olives, they were looking at each other going, okay, did he really say Samaria or did he say some area? <laughs> because those people, and you're gonna see that on your note sheet today, the title of this message today is that the God's even for those people. And you all have some people in your life right, like that, right? That are like, those people? If they show up at church, I'm not sure I'd stay here. Um, we, we've been a, a church from the beginning that's all kinds of people. Not just our kind of people discovering and following Jesus, but all kinds of people. And uh, before we get to this section here in verse 26, I'm going to get back to Acts 8, verse 4. Uh, Justin, our student ministries director, just nailed it last week, talking about the idea that the church is scattered by persecution and that they're talking about Jesus wherever they go as they get jobs and they, as they rent apartments and houses, wherever they go, Jesus comes up all the time. And so the good news, this kingdom of God spreads from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and eventually all over the world. But they find themselves, uh, look at chapter eight, look at verse uh, f- uh, four and five. 
Like verse five says, Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Now you and I hear Samaria and go, yada, yada, who cares, whatever, it's someplace in the Bible. Take a look at the map up here. It's gonna be up here on the screen. Uh, you can see down in the south is a region of, uh, of Israel called Judea. That's where Jerusalem and Bethlehem, all the famous Israel places. Up in the north is the region of Galilee, which is where the Sea of Galilee is and where Nazareth is and Capernaum and, and all those kind of places. In the middle is an area called Samaria. And it gets the, the reason it's there, it's, it's uh, laid out there, is that the people in the uh, south especially don't even have thinly disguised contempt for the people of Samaria. They hate them. They're collaborators, they're sellouts. Let me give you some quick history on this. 700 years before this time, the Assyrians had come, and that's Assyria's modern day Iran and Iraq, and they had come to Israel, to the, to the native point Israel was, and they conquered it. They decimated the temple, and they took the best and the brightest, and they resettled them all over the empire. They left all the uneducated people, all the people didn't have any money, the poor people there, and then they resettled people groups from other parts of the empire in there. And the reason they do this is to squash nationalism and the sense of maybe that like, we don't want a Spartan thing happening again. So we're gonna just make sure we get this, all, all the cultures, all the religions blended together. And instead of these Jewish people staying true to their faith, staying true to the Bible, they just incorporated all this religion, all this culture into the Jewish faith. So they said, well, we don't have to worship in Jerusalem. They made a temple on Mount Gerizim. And they had all kinds of all their false gods and false religions in there, other parts of culture and philosophies out there. It was ultimate pluralism, multiculturalism, also known as, known as the United States of America today when it comes to religion. That's what it is. And that's just who they were. They, they looked at them as collaborators, as sellouts and compromisers. Uh, generally speaking, if you look at the map up there again, if you're going from the north to the south or the south to the north, you did not go through Samaria. You went around it. Here's what's crazy about that. I just saw it for the first time this week. You know what's on the east side of that Jordan River right there? That's not Jewish territory. That's Gentiles. So they're saying, I'd rather go with the pagan Gentiles than you sell out collaborators, you half-hearted people that have compromised our culture and our faith. Uh, one time, uh, Jesus was going through Samaria, very scandalous thing. He talked to a woman at the well. And he says, look, I'm not just for our people, I'm for all people, even for those people there. He, uh, one time, uh, James and John, they were going through a village in Samaria, it's unnamed, and the people there go, get out, we don't want you here. And James and John go, let's go Sodom and Gomorrah on them. Let's rain down fire and just nuke the joint. They had, they had no patience for any of these people here. And what we're gonna see happen here, well, let's, let's take a look at it here. It says, um, Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there's great joy in the city. That's kind of like a no duh. Uh, a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. Look, when the title of your company is the great one, the power of God, that's a, you, you got a legit business going here. Uh, 
And he had some real powers. There's this, they listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believe Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized, converted, became Christians. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. Look, this is not just for those people out there, like, okay, there's some good-hearted people out here. Even for, like, the dude who's the sorcerer, who's trafficking in demonic spirits out here, that guy becomes a Christian. Like, this thing is blowing up in the bright lights and big city of the area of Samaria. Now, now look what happens here. Look at verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. This is like, what's going on there, Samaritans? Really? I think Jesus is up in heaven going, did I stutter? But that's a different thing. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. And in my Bible, you can't zoom in and see it, but in my Bible, next to those verses right there, you know what I have? A question mark. Because I go, what's that mean? Like, so... Because our whole deal here, we told you this over and over again, if you're newer to this, let me just tell you, the Bible makes it very, very clear. When you become a Christian, uh, the, the Spirit of God that had in the past only occasionally kind of gone poop over here and come upon people and come alongside people, uh, the Bible tells us now that the Spirit of God now indwells your mind, soul, body, and spirit fully. So that's what we believe the Bible teaches, and yet... These people in Samaria don't get it until the apostles come and go, and something happens dramatically to let them know that the Spirit is coming. Some people, as you look at different tribes, uh, different segments of our Christian faith, some people believe, well, these people weren't Christians yet. They weren't really Christians yet, and they really became full Christians when the apostles got up there, and that, that's when it happened. Other people believe, oh, no, when, when you become a Christian, you kind of get, sort of get the Spirit but actually what happens is you get a, you need a secondary work of God's spirit to really take over your life and have God fully envelop your life. It's a secondary work of the spirit. We have all kinds of churches in our valley that teach that and believe that, and they're gonna be in heaven with us someday, they're brothers and sisters. And then uh, what, we, what I believe is going on here is that Luke is not prescribing how the spirit works. He's not saying here's how it works every time. He's describing what happens the first time. And you can look about this, because in, in the book of Acts, in chapter two and three, uh, the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any believers, and bam, the Spirit comes and in them, and they see, they hear uh, the, ro the roar of wind, they see the flames of fire, and people are speaking in other languages to go, hey, that thing I told you about, bam, it's just happened. And so these people in Samaria have become Christians, and I think what God is doing here is I want to certify and validate that even these Samaritans have the Spirit of God. So in this moment right here, right now, boom, the Spirit of God comes. We're also going to see this happen in a few chapters here in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit, when people who are Gentiles become Christians and the dramatic, powerful thing that happens there. I think what Luke is doing is he's describing what happens the first time, not necessarily every time. So what about for us today when it comes to the Holy Spirit in our lives? Like I said, 
If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God in you. I have verses there in your note sheet from all over the New Testament that will tell us that, that when you become a Christian, God's Spirit moves into your life. You are baptized, you are, uh, God's Spirit comes up and takes residence in your mind, in your soul, in your body, and in your spirit. God's Spirit, the triune God, the Holy Spirit actually comes in you. For some of you, that, you felt that when that happened. You had a dramatic experience and boom, I, I, dude, I felt that others of us was like, I believed it and you said it, okay. Uh, and so the, the question is, well, is the Spirit coming on us a thing just that happens one time over here or is it like something we should keep seeking after? And uh, Ephesians 5.18, other verses like it are gonna tell us this. Paul's gonna say in Ephesians 5.18, writing a letter to the church in Ephesus, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, how am I going to impress you with my grasp of biblical languages and verb tenses and stuff like that? Once in a while, it's important to know that. Not most of the time, but it's not just be filled with the Spirit. Back here in the past, get the Spirit. Boom, make that happen up there. It's the, the tense there in the Greek languages. It's called the present imperative, which means it's, hey, right now, get, get on this. And it's not get filled with the Spirit in the past. It's a present reality that you keep seeking. It's just the idea of, uh, there's a, a famous book written years and years ago, My Heart, Christ's Home. And you, when you invite God into your life, the Spirit comes up in and he's in your house. He's in your life. Being filled with the Spirit, it says, I'm gonna open up places into my house to let God do some fixer-upper work around here. And in the attic and in the, the bathroom over here and all, God's gonna do some work here. He's gonna, he's gonna fill up my house with himself. He's gonna bring gifts. He's gonna bring character, life, change, and transformation. So that's, that's what's going on. So when it comes to you and I, it needs to be something, hey, if you're not a Christian yet, you need to become a Christian and let God's spirit come in and take over your life and change you from the inside out. But I sense at times, a lot of us just look back to our conversion experience and that was like, oh, that was amazing over there. God goes, no, no, no. This is an ongoing, Amen. present imperative experience that you keep seeking after, asking God to fill you. And look, this is not so much about big dramatic things that happen. The, the sign that God's spirit is working in you is what's called the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. That's, that's the, the spirit of God's manifest in your life that way. So that's happened now. The spirit has come, it's been validated, confirmed. Look at verse, uh, look at the next verse here. Uh, verse 18. When Simon saw, remember Simon the great one, Simon the sorcerer, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered him money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they'll receive the Holy Spirit. Now just stop there for a second. Just to pull, if you're a Christian or not a Christian today, is this a good thing or a dumb thing here? It's a dumb thing, but you know what? It's very sincere. This guy's been a Christian for about 10 minutes, and his whole experience has been, man, money and power... I, can I, how, how can I get some of that? I, I want more of what, what you guys are talking about. Do I, do I, who, who do I pay? Because in, back in that day, with religious stuff, it's all a transactional thing. So you make a sacrifice, you bring some money, and you too can whoo, get in on this. So it's a sincere thing, but a very dumb, stupid thing to say. Uh, and Peter's going to call him out. Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. Now I hear that and go, come on, Peter. Where's the sensitivity here? May your money be destroyed with you. May God destroy you and your money right here, right now. I'm thinking, Peter, don't you remember like you actually denied Jesus three times. This guy just wants to buy a little power. But 
I'm not sure Peter's doing this right or wrong right here, but this is not a very kind, emotionally intelligent. Peter needed to go take some business consulting courses on how to have a difficult conversation with somebody. It's like, hey, maybe next time you go pull someone aside and go, hey, can we go, go get some coffee and talk about this? Have a kind conversation. Now he just calls him out. <laughs> and you think that would be enough. Oh, he's just getting started. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. He's going, I thought I just became a Christian. I, what's going on here? Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive your evil thoughts. Not like, hey, if you pray, guaranteed forgiveness. That's the message we preach all the time. Peter goes, I'm not sure God will even forgive this one. Dude, for I can see that you're, you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. I wonder, anybody ever here ever been confronted or called out by somebody? If you're married, you have been. <laughs> and if you think you haven't been, then you're just dumb and stupid. I'm just telling you. Um, yeah, or somebody in your small group or uh, somebody at work been called out, confronted, challenged about something. Do, do people always do it right? Not, in fact, you know what I'm telling you? Usually we don't do it right because usually we call somebody out, we're angry. We're, here's the buzzword, triggered. And so because we're triggered, that means we can just go all over them. Peter kind of does this here and you would think Simon's response is gonna be, forget you guys. This way of Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, forget that stuff. I wonder how we respond when we're called out and confronted. Even when they don't do it right. See, what we'll tend to do, when we don't, when they do it, especially when they don't do it right, is we'll make excuses. We'll, we'll justify, we'll, we'll, defend our, we'll, we'll defend ourselves uh, somehow, some way, or we'll do what I call today, this is all over, especially in the last two or three years, it's the non-apology apology. Here, you know what it is? Here's how you can apologize to somebody without apologizing to them, and it just makes them feel worse. Um, I'm sorry you were offended by what I did. In other words, if you weren't such a jerk or so tightly wound or weren't so sensitive, then you wouldn't be offended by me. It's really your problem. Sometimes it's the how dare you response. Because... Can I just tell you right now that when somebody, your husband or your wife, your children, your boss, a coworker, somebody in your small group, they call you out on something, you look at them and go, who do you think you are, pal? And you know why you're gonna think that? Because you know who they are. You know the dumb, stupid stuff that they do. And you go, what gives you the right? You think you're perfect, you think you're God or something like that? And so you'd be unchallengeable because you can always find somebody out there who's done some st stupid, dumb, wrong, stuff. Uh, so sometimes what happens too is we don't, we, don't, um, we don't respond defensively. We'll respond in shame and guilt and we'll just go, well, I'm, you're right. I'm stupid. I'm a failure. I'm a jerk. I'm an idiot. <laughs> sometimes we do it kind of a passive aggressive. Oh, well, it's what you got. Or it's like, it's just shame sets in there and goes, I'm just never going to get this. I'm, why should I even try? I'll just give up. And we can become, we kind of play the, a victim or a martyr and shame just kind of keeps us there and we never respond. Look how Simon responds here. I'm not sure God will forgive you. Then 
what Simon says here, pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed. These terrible things you said won't happen to me. You know what our response needs to be no matter how they did it or what, what they said or, is to go, is there truth in that? And what do I need to do about that myself? Simon here just repents. He says, that was dumb. That was stupid. That was wrong. Looks at the fact that, hey, he didn't do it right. It wasn't kind and gentle maybe as he could have been or she, she should have been. But from time to time, you need to listen to go, hmm, is there something I just need to pay attention to here? Regardless of how they did it or how they said it or what they could have done to do this better, let's, maybe I should pay attention to that. So it tells us here, after testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. So they're there. Peter and John, they go back to Jerusalem. Philip is in bright lights, big city. Miracles are happening. Demons are coming out of people. People getting saved by, by like crazy numbers. People getting baptized all the time. And then verse 26 happens. <laughs> As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Take a look up here on the screen. Here's the map. You can see there's Jerusalem. That's Jerusalem down the southern, southern part of Israel. There's Jerusalem. It's a big capital city. Uh, he'd been up in Samaria. So he goes down from Samaria, comes down to Jerusalem, and there's a big, massive trade route, about 50 miles that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's not a quiet little hiking trail. It's a big, massive highway for trade routes, about 50 miles uh, that they would travel there. And God does this all the time. You're at a place where you finally you finally have life figured out. You finally got things figured out in your marriage, with your kids, with your small group, with your business, with your company, all that. You finally got it figured out, and just when you finally have it all figured out, God goes, oh, we're gonna change things here. Sometimes the change happens because God's gonna call you to take a step of faith and go out and do something bold. Like he tells Philip, go out there and leave the bright lights of the big city and go to the dark desert highway. Sometimes, I was talking to a, a, a couple last night after church, brand new to our church. They said, it was just crazy for us. We moved here a few months ago and we have, how, it's a whole big long story about their businesses up in LA and we thought we had things all figured out and just a couple weeks ago, our, the, our, our number one competitor just bought our company and I have no idea what this means for me. What's gonna happen to me? What, is God gonna relocate me <laughs> to somewhere, something else? Guys, this happened to us, to Denise and me uh, 17 years ago. We were at a great church, loved everything about it. And somehow, someway, God says it's time to leave and go to a, watch it, dark desert highway. <laughs> Back then, it wasn't even Temecula Parkway. They didn't have a good name for it. They called it 79 South. And it was so, I was so angry about that because they had 79 South and 79 North. Like, what does that even mean for a directly challenged person like me? But God will do things like that. He will move us around, change things around. And I wonder, when God does that for you, you're going to be just like Philip, I think, and, and, and some of you know the song, on a dark desert highway, cool wind in my hair, and then warm smell of Kalidas, and then it's the next line is, what am I doing here? What, what, what am I doing here? And God goes, hey, just trust me. No matter where here is, he says, I'll speak to you there if you keep listening. Whether, and I want you to hear this today because this was different. Came to me this morning on the way in, driving in that sometimes you're gonna be on a dark desert highway because life just happens. Sometimes God's gonna direct you to a dark desert highway and look at me, some of you ended up on a dark desert highway because you were a fool. 
You did some dumb, it doesn't matter. Wherever you are, wherever there is for you, God God's going, wants to speak to you. And so he gets there and it says that he, he met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandake, the queen, all this kind of stuff. And what's weird in here, several times we, we meet this guy, he's from Ethiopia, he's on this trade route going from Jerusalem to Gaza and then Gaza down into Africa. He's going back home, he's been in Jerusalem and he's reading the Bible, we find out uh, that God tells Philip, go walk alongside the chariot, which tells you something about the road, right? Because a chariot pulled by horses, you can't walk alongside that unless it's the 15 at 530. Some of you have been out there, you go, I could walk faster than these cars are moving right now. So he tells Philip, get out, you're walking right here, just go over there and walk alongside that chariot. And what I want you to see today is that whether you're on a dark desert highway or the bright lights of a big city, God wants to use you wherever there is for you. Whether it makes sense or it makes no sense right now, I wanna see some patterns here that we can use for how God's gonna speak into our lives, how he's gonna use us in the various places. And it may not be a dark desert highway, it may be a dark desert cubicle. Maybe the van pool, it may be a, may be a, a coffee place here in town. Maybe on a field with your kids playing a sport, or I was talking to Lance, guy running sound for us today, uh, band, the big band tournament things where we go from Riverside to Moreno Valley all in one day and we're stuffing our, it's just a crazy thing. He says, wherever you are, he says, I'm there. And I want you to see some things here, how God wants to use us, you and me. Remember, this is Philip here. This is not one of the apostles. This is not the apostle Philip. He's just a guy like, uh, uh, Justin talked to us last week about, he was one of the guys helping run the food bank and he's just not even like Stephen, one of the big, he's just one of the guys. He got scattered, finds himself in Samaria, starts talking about Jesus and God's power shows up here and we can see some things here that might be helpful for us for wherever we sign, find ourselves. He says, go, go walk alongside that chariot and see what happens. Write down on your note sheet today, those of you taking notes, uh, get closer and listen. What I'm saying here is find some people in your life who you don't know their story. They may be Christians. They may not be Christians at all. Go just get close and listen. And part of this, to maybe write this down, is just get close to people who aren't believers. See what happens. Just see what happens. Uh, and he gets close and he just listens to find out, I have no idea where this is going to go. God doesn't say, go get alongside, walk alongside the chariot and start preaching the gospel to him. You know what he tells him to do? Get close to people. Here's the big question I have for you today. Who's your one more? God's, not, God's gonna reach crowds of people here, but he's gonna do it by each one of us going, who's the one more that God wants me to reach? A buddy of mine at work, somebody in the van pool, somebody I bump into at the Starbucks thing all the time, the picking up and dropping off the kids at school. Who's my one more? And you may know nothing about them, but you're never gonna be able to reach them for Christ if you know nothing about them. So who's your one more? Who's that person God's just gonna put in your heart? You start praying for them and asking God, just get closer to him and listen to him. And, and he gets up close and listen to him. It says, um, verse 30, Philip ran over, heard the man reading the, reading the Bible. Well, you know, that's interesting. Now that's not gonna happen for most of you. You're not gonna go sit next to people and go all of a sudden they're reading the Bible out loud, but that's happening here. And the guy's probably rich and wealthy because he probably has an entourage because you can't read the Bible and drive a chariot at the same time. Contrary to what some of you do trying to text and drive at the same time, um, you can't do that. It's a bad idea. He probably has somebody either reading it to him. 
he's renting it, has somebody else driving the chariot or whatever he's, he's got there. Um, and it's going slow. There's probably lots of people on the road. And it says there from the prophet Isaiah, Philip, that next word there is critically important. It does not say Philip said. It said Philip asked. So here, write this down. Pattern for your life. As you get closer people and listen to them, start with questions, not your presentations. This is good. This, here's why this is important. Uh, because if we're not careful in our efforts to reach people, it feels like a multi-level marketing campaign. And those of you that do that, when I'm not shaming you for that, please don't write me na nasty notes about that. I'm calling, nothing wrong with any of it. But I know people who are in that, and they tell you everywhere you go, you're talking about it, right? Every party, every, everywhere you go, you're trying to work this into a conversation. If we're not careful, if all we're doing is just starting with our stuff first, people don't even know who I am, dude. You have no idea what's going on in my life. If you listen to people, all of a sudden you find out, man, their marriage is blowing up right now. They got health issues in their life. Just lost his job. They're not sure with the whole, like some of the, the controversy around the, uh, am I going to lose my job because of some vaccine convictions required? You start talking to people, start feeling where they're really out. Then you can start speaking into that situation. So you start with questions, not your presentations. I'm telling you also too, to start with questions not presentations, because some of you feel like you can never talk to anybody about Jesus because you've got to get your whole presentation down. You've got to get it boom, 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 and you go, I'm not good with people. I don't know what to say. Forget about your presentation. To start with, now get a presentation. It'd be good to take some classes and learn what the gospel message is. We're going to give you a bit of this today, but start with questions because questions will get you to really where people are at. And instead of answering questions they're not asking, you can get them to Jesus by showing how Jesus will answer every question that anybody ever has. And the guy says, I don't understand what I'm reading. Can somebody help me? And he calls Philip up into the chariot. And he's reading from Isaiah 53. Now, in some of your Bibles, when you turn to, in fact, turn to Isaiah, keep something here in, in uh, Acts here for a second. I want you to find Isaiah 53. Uh, as you're doing that, I want to show you the craziness of this. This is right here, what we call the Old Testament. All these pages right here, there are thousands, there, there's 782 pages in my Bible that's the Old Testament. He's on He's on that page. Now he could have been reading a lot of things in the Bible. He could have been reading like Numbers and Leviticus and laws about curing of infectious skin diseases and crazy stuff right there. Isaiah 53 and some of your Bibles the heading on Isaiah 53 will say the suffering servant. And he's saying, I'm reading about this suffering servant. Is he talking? And here's Jewish scholars today will tell you either Isaiah is talking about himself in the third person, that he's the suffering servant. He has faithfully served God and he has suffered grievous harm. And he did. Bad things happened to Isaiah as a prophet of God. Other Jewish scholars will tell us today that what he's talking about here is he's making a personification of the nation of Israel. 
that Israel has been God's servant to bring the glory of God to the world and they have suffered greatly. They've been persecuted. All kinds of things have happened and that, that's the suffering servant. And yet he's reading it here and he's going, well, I don't get it. Because some of this feels like he's talking about a person. Some of it feels like he's talking about maybe a big institution or a nation, but neither of those things make sense when I read things here. Who's he talking about? And Philip says, I'm glad you asked. Write this down today, and then we're going to read Isaiah 53. You need to boldly trust that God showed up way before you did. The crazy coincidence that this guy from Ethiopia, a Gentile, has a scroll, and he's in Isaiah 53. Look what it says here. This is crazy. 53 verse 1, the words will be up here on the screen as well. It says this, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Keep reading going, that's interesting. Is that a person or is that a nation? What's going on here? Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sin. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Pause for a moment. I think Philip's in the, you know who he's talking about here? He said, you went to Jerusalem just six months ago. A guy named Jesus showed up there claiming to be God. He was despised and rejected. He was pierced. He hung on a cross and the Lord laid on him, not his own sins, but the sins of all of us, the sins of you, you great Ethiopian person from, from uh, Ethiopia, obviously. <laughs> Gosh, I'm so good sometimes. <laughs> and it just gets better. It says he was, look at verse seven, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, hello, I think he's going, hey, what's happening? It wasn't just a martyrdom that crushed the, the founder of a movement and crushed him. When his life made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He had no kids, but he's going to have a whole billion, kajillion descendants in his line. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. And look at this. This is awesome. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sin. And he stops there and says, his name is 
Jesus. And I, the, guy, the guy the whole time was going, I'm so glad somebody filled the gaps in for me. I, God, see, God's showing up all the time for you. This happened for me a couple times in the last few weeks of people that showed up, met me at a coffee place, met me at the, it's crazy the questions they're asking. God's showing up all the time with people if we will listen to their questions. And, and, and then it says here, and once you see in Acts 8, he says, and this is underlined in my Bible, verse uh, 35. So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him, the good news about Jesus. And that word good news in the original languages is the word we use today for gospel about Jesus. All gospel means, it just means the same gospel, good news. But it's not just, hey, that's some good news. It's good news. It's a proclamation that everything has changed. And look, look at me for a second. He doesn't just tell him about the miracles of Jesus. Doesn't tell him about the teaching of Jesus. He doesn't say, you know what? We should just follow Jesus in WWJD. What would Jesus do? Because you tell somebody what would Jesus do without the power of Jesus, it will wreck them. What would Jesus do without the power of Jesus is going to ruin and destroy them. You've got to get to the gospel. So start with their questions and answer all the questions to get there. But at some point, and you don't have to lead with this, but you do have to get to this. And here's the message of the gospel, as simple as I can make it. This comes from all kinds of verses all over the Bible. Write this down today. Here's the gospel good news. Jesus is fully man and fully God. Jesus lived and died in our place for our sin. That's just the first part. Lived and died in our place for our sin. So when you're talking to somebody, you go, what's this Christianity thing all about? You start with this. Jesus lived and died in our place for our sin, which means, by implication, you're a sinner. Understand something here today. Just because you're a, a human being does not make you a child of God. You're a creation of God. You're a child of God's wrath right now because of sin and rebellion. You become a child of God by believing the gospel, by believing the good news. So Jesus lived and died in our place for our sin, and he rose from death with real power for, for new life. That it, he says, look, I can forgive all your sin and restore you back to a relationship with God, and then I'll, by my spirit, move into your life and not change you by behavior modification, change you from the inside out. Change your impulses, your desires. Change all kinds of stuff. And some of you know that story. You know that for years and years you struggled with this and that and everything else. You became a Christian and you go, where did that? That's crazy. I don't even want to do that stuff anymore. And sometimes we still we struggle with it. That's a battle that goes back and forth. And well, what happens here today is you go, well, so how do I get in on this? How do I get this forgiveness and this new life? And religion will tell you this. Religion will tell you, uh, you got to be good enough. You got to get your act clean, cleaned up, get your act together, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, write this down before I give you the thing to fill in the blank. Your bad deeds don't disqualify you, and your good deeds don't qualify you for this. Faith is what does it for you. And faith is simply this. It's believing that what happened back then counts for us, counts for me today. And I think that Ethiopian that day, he did not understand the Bible. He did not go to a, he didn't get, join a small group. He hadn't been to a church service. He understood some things about it. All he knew was, okay, Jesus lived and died in my place and he rose again with real power for new life. I believe that counts for me today to forgive my sin, give me a relationship with God and give me power to change my life. And faith says what happens then counts for us today. And he becomes a Christian Look at verse uh, 36 now. As they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, now stop there for a second. I'm a little frustrated here with this. I go, can't you give us the guy's name? 
And they don't call him the treasurer, the eunuch. And for those of you that didn't, you know, we're not going to go into the graphic details, the castrated. Uh, and this often happened in people that were in high positions in royal courts to make sure that nobody was messing with the king's harem. So all the men were castrated. And, and over and over again, Luke keeps pointing out the fact that he's a eunuch. And I go, I don't get that. And then this week in our brainstorming time together with our team that gets together and puts all this together, one of the people there said, yeah, look at Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. Don't turn there, but tr trust me on this. You know what Deuteronomy 23, verse 1 says? 23, verse 1 in Deuteronomy says, any man, either by intentional or accidental, that's been made a eunuch, that's been castrated, cannot enter the assembly of God. And this guy knows the verse. I mean, guys that go from Ethiopia to Jerusalem have read the Bible a few times. He's got some of this faith in him, and so he knows the Bible. He knows that verse. And look at the question here. Look, there's some water. And in the New Living Translation, they butcher this right here. Because you know what his actual words are? His actual thing is, is there anything that would prevent me from getting baptized? You know why I asked that question? Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. Because it says there, the Bible says that there's things you can do that exclude you from the assembly. <laughs> and he ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. You know what the answer to that question is? Nothing separates you from God. Amen. Nothing can. And it's, it's, it's beautiful here because some of you need to hear this today. What about my past, my past record, the things I did in my past? Some of you are thinking about, what about what I did this week? And then I think, I don't know this guy's the story on what caused him to become a eunuch. Did he do it willingly? Did it, was he forced on? We don't know any of that. But it struck me to this week that for some of you, it's not the sins that you've done it's the sins that have been done to you. The stuff you suffered as a child. And there's such sense of feeling dirty and ashamed and wretched and vile. You go, does this, you call it good news, but ah, maybe for all you good religious people over here that didn't have the past that I have. One book over, Romans chapter 8. Beth Sylvester was teaching about this with our students this week, and I just borrowed it today. In the book of Romans, what Paul is doing is explaining the gospel, the good news of Jesus, in detailed terms about sin and salvation and all that. And if it's a soundtrack, what's happening now in the soundtrack, the soundtrack to the book of Romans, all of a sudden the electric guitars are coming in and the big, huge, massive drums are coming in and it's building and building and building. And we get to verse 31 and it says this, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us, whom God has chosen for his own? The implication is the only one who can accuse us and condemn us is God. No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will, who, who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus, the only one who could condemn us and accuse us, was, I lost track, 
For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, God, we're killed every day. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And then he says, and I am convinced. And now hear the music just going. The fireworks are going off over the lake and everything. It's beautiful and amazing that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't matter what the Bible says about all the commands back here. You know why? Because Jesus fulfilled all the commands for you. You don't have to. He was crushed. All parts of him were crushed. So he says, look, Jesus took that for you. That doesn't exclude you anymore. And so he gets baptized there in, in, the, the, in, in some body of water there. And then I love this. Uh, look what happens. Uh, verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. <laughs> that had to be a weird thing, right? <laughs> I baptized him in the, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit under the water, back out, and you look around and go, where'd he go? <laughs> it says that he went on his way, never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north, <laughs> some other place that God led him, and he keeps preaching the gospel going all the way up the coast up to Caesarea. Uh, I wonder today, if it's time for some of you to become a Christian today. I don't know your story, I don't know what your background is. Is it time today to say yes to Jesus, to say, I don't, don't miss this. I don't understand it all. I don't get it all yet, but I get the core. I get that Jesus lived and died in my place for my sin, and I believe he rose again to give me new life, and I believe that counts for me today. If that's you today, today's the day to become a Christian right here, right now, uh, and what I want to tell you today is uh, over here. Look. There's water. Becoming a Christian for the first time today, there's water. You don't have to take a baptism class. You don't have to get your theology all straightened out. You don't have to get everything figured out. There's water. Come get baptized today. Now, some of you are going, but I'm not ready to get baptized. I don't have a change of clothes. Well, I have two responses to that. One is, go home wet. It's a nice day today. <laughs> but we actually also have all kinds of changes of clothes and stuff here for you. All kinds of shorts and sweats and pops and all kinds of stuff. We can take care of it. It'll be modest and good and all that. Um, Katie is right there in the back. Turn around and look at Katie. If God's been moving in your heart right now, right here today to say, is it time for me to get baptized? I'm, it's time for me to become a Christian, get baptized. Today is the day. Now, minimally, I'm gonna tell you, if it's not your day today because you're still I want to talk to somebody about that, go back and talk to Katie or pray with our prayer team. We'll be in the back. The, the band should come up right now. Shoot, I'm forgetting everything. Um, As, uh, as, as the band comes up, we're going to sing some songs together. People will be getting up, moving around the room, taking communion, receiving communion. It's the body and the blood of Jesus represented in some bread and juice that symbolizes the gospel, what, what Jesus did for us. 
And then I also think today that there are some of us here today, you, you have been a Christian for a while, but because we are products of Western culture, our relationship with God has become so personal that we just think it's this me and Jesus thing. Just, he's my good buddy over here, and it's very private. Jesus makes it very clear, you know, at some point you go public with that faith. You stand up in front of a community of friends and family and say, it's time to move this from being a, pub, from a little private, just personal thing, to a public proclamation that I say yes to Jesus. It's a little bit, yeah, well, I won't keep going with that because I'm done with time. But I'm telling you right now, if that's you today, you can get up and talk to Katie. We have changes of clothes here for you today. I have my phone with me, so she's gonna text me if I need to get changed too and jump in that water and baptize some of you uh, today. And you're feeling like if I get up there, if they're gonna see me, the lights are down a little bit and people will be getting up moving around to come and receive prayer in the back, to come to their communion stations in the four corners of the room to do that. And then today, it tells us that, Phil, that they, the guy, this Ethiopian, went on his way rejoicing. In other words, he was excited about his faith. So today, the bright lights, big city, or dark desert highway, or all that stuff in between, on this little Via Montezuma desert highway here, let's rejoice together today as we sing. Jesus, today, by your spirit, whatever it is you want to say and do, just asking you to do that right here, right now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.